Talking out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who 
who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed, my colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated WHATEVER THE FUCK I WANT! Consider yourselves... notified. Alright, you primitive screwheads, listen up! I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Anubis with your Mail Time Radio Podcast, episode 160. How y'all fucking doing? Opened up the show there with some Dead Chasm doing Slumber, a Nirvana 2002 cover. Uh, not many people know of that band, Nirvana 2002, very cool. I think they only did like a demo and maybe an EP early on in their career in the early 90s. Uh, I think some of the members went and um, formed some other bands and whatnot from there, but... Uh, I did catch them at MDF a few years ago, uh, which was really cool. They did a little get-together and played a a set for us at MDF. I can't remember which year it was, but it was a lot of fun. I was really excited about that. Um, Before we get into a lot of the other stuff today, I know I've got some stuff about uh, March Madness. If you guys are college basketball fans, that started this week. In fact, yesterday. uh, I'll get into a little bit of that when we get there, but... Also got an article about the age of influence, and uh, this is a really interesting topic in general because I, I could see both sides of it, maybe. But um, also, 
Got a series review for you uh, for Blade Runner Black Lotus on HBO Max. And then I have a movie review for The Seed off of Shudder. But before we get into all that, I have a mini rant of sorts. Uh, so I've been, you know, obviously trying to watch some stuff, movies, series, whatever. Because I want to put more stuff up on our YouTube for content and stuff. So I try to find, you know, movies and stuff that... Uh, I can recommend to people that they check out and whatnot, but you know, sometimes I'll start watching a movie and it might hold some promise like early on. So I was watching this movie uh, a couple days ago. It's called uh, Home with a View of the Monster from 2019. It's on Shutter right now. Uh, when I checked out the trailer on there, it looked like it was pretty interesting. So I, I said, all right, well, let me see what this is going for. So it starts out and you know, it's got a, uh, I really enjoyed early in the part of the film. It's got some very good soundtrack, uh, atmospheric music that works for what's going on with the two characters. Uh, I'm not going to bother with the plot. You guys can check it out if you want. But my rant is more about how this movie started out with some very good ideas. And uh, it had me engaged. And then all of a sudden there came a point in a turn probably about 30 minutes within that all of a sudden it just took a turn for the worse like it just it was bad writing bad scripting uh, the plot itself started to have massive holes in it in terms of like logical things that people would do i know that when we go into movies uh they can all be like silly or not supposed to always make sense but you know this kind of movie the way that it was designed from the beginning was to be taken kind of a serious. So basically, like, this movie I'm doing with a review later in the show uh, had to do with aliens. I already know for a fact that it's going to be kind of dumb in some, and illogical in some areas because, you know, it's it's about aliens, right? So this one, this movie, though, is more about sort of like real-life shit that could happen. I mean, I'm not saying it definitely is about stuff that's going to happen, but... The reality is the way that it's set up is definitely for that. So when it started to go off into an area where I thought, well, that's not logical because those characters wouldn't do that in real life. It just doesn't make sense with the plot that we're dealing with. So the the rant that I have basically is that, you know, you get into some of these movies sometimes that look like they're going to be very good and they have good ideas and all of a sudden... All it takes is the director or writer to fuck it up by saying, oh, well, they're going to do this instead of this. And it's like, dude, it makes no fucking sense. Like, you, you're taking a, somebody, you're taking a, a character, or in this case, a couple of characters who aren't stupid. They're not twits. And then all of a sudden you're putting them and making them look like dopes for the decisions that they're going to make. And But that decision, like will probably carry off into the rest of the film. Now, the writer's saying to himself, well, we got to do this because otherwise it's not going to work. Well, no. It's so fucking frustrating because you had everything going for it. And I don't know why the director thought that it was okay to keep going in this direction. Like, at some point you got to say, dude, this makes no fucking sense. We're not going to do this. Now, here's here's the, here's the caveat to this, Okay. Perhaps the film is good. Perhaps if I had stuck with it after the first 30 minutes, it might have gotten better or done something different that I thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. So maybe I'm missing out on something there. However, 
one thing I've learned is that, like, once I'm watching a movie, so when I did my Batman review uh, a couple weeks ago, basically I said to myself, and I said to you all when I did the review, that, you know, if I'm watching a movie and all of a sudden I'm getting antsy and I'm, you know, not sitting still, that means the movie's not keeping me engaged. This is this case, it wasn't about the length so much as it was I'm engaged with what's going on and then all of a sudden there's just something that says, oh, this isn't logical, this is irrational, this doesn't make any fucking sense, why are they doing this? And therefore, I lost interest. Like, I'm like, I don't want to watch this because I already know, yeah, okay, this is going to set something up to where it's going to become, you know, people are going to die, whatever. But it got there because you made a dumb decision that no logical, rational human being would ever make. It just doesn't make sense. And so... Once that happens for a movie for me, I just I disengage from it. Like I can't take it seriously. And when it's laid out to be a semi-serious movie like this, okay, uh, then I then I have to be able to stay engaged with it. I can't just sit there and write off. Oh, now we're going into like stupidity territory. Can't do that with some of these movies because that's not the way that they've set it up. Uh, it's not. And it, it could be a paranormal film, but I, at the same time, it could. I, I have no idea where this movie's going. Uh, and people are going to say, "Well, you should have stuck with it." Well, no, because that's what I'm, that's my point. Once you've gone off the reservation of sorts by changing the dynamic of how you're doing this movie, I can't follow it because it makes no sense. It, nothing here will make any sense from this point on because you've already made the mistake as a writer. And director to turn your characters 180 degrees the other direction like it makes no sense no rational human being would do what they did in that situation so however you all can go and shut if you are subscribers and check it out for yourselves and you may see what I'm talking about because like I said it happens very early in the film that the first two people that were focused on meet a third person and then from that point, you're going to see that the diet, something happens to the point where it's like, that makes no sense. Why would you not do this or do that? That's my point about that. So it's called Home with the View of the Monster. Again, like earlier film, great soundtrack to the couple. They're on a little camping trip. And, you know, then you can see there's some other uh, issues with the couple. But the premise is basically... There are a couple that owns a home that they're going camping, but they've rented out their house to another couple. So some shit happens, and you know, you'll figure it out from there. But uh, but it's very early in the film that this change of events happens, and I'm just like, this makes no goddamn sense. Like I don't understand it. All right, rant over. Let's get into our first block of music. Uh, got some Sacrifix from Jay Z Press. Fright from Horror Pain Gore Productions. Thank you, Mr. Giuliano. And then, of course, from Against PR, we got some Rise of Kronos kicking it off. This is called Cycles.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Uh, sorry about that. I gotta fix that Sacrifice track, apparently, because it didn't play, but, uh... That was some Fright by uh, Horpay and Gore Records, and so I'm going to talk about this other shit first, and then uh, we'll get into uh, getting that track in later on. Um, so for those of you who are like, you know, basketball fans or college basketball fans, uh, basically, you know, I've been in college football and basketball since probably like the mid-90s when my friend attended UVA, Virginia, so... Obviously, you probably heard me and Neko talk about the Virginia Cavaliers a couple years ago winning their first national championship and a lot of the crazy games that happened during that tournament. But that's sort of like the norm for March Madness, which, you know, for those that aren't aware, March Madness is basically two to three weeks in the week of uh, the month of March where college basketball comes down to like 64 teams that are selected to compete for a national championship. And. It always has, like, games where, like, you know, the seeds, some lower seeds. In fact, the year before Virginia won their national championship, they were the first team ever, not in a good way, to be a number one seed to lose to a number 16 seed, which is the lowest seed in the brackets as far as, like, each section. So uh, UMBC had upset Virginia, and it was, like, a big devastating loss and, of course, made history because it was the first time that – the seating for that hap- ever happened. Granted, which is funny because last night, two number two seeds and two or lost to two number fifteen seeds, which has happened before. But so you think it's so funny that the sixteen would beat a one, but then we've seen fifteen beats two occasionally here and there anyway. But last night, both UConn and Kentucky uh, went down to uh, what was it? Uh, St. Peter's beat Kentucky. And I'm trying to remember who it was that beat uh, UConn here. Let me look it up real quick. New Mexico State. So, well, New Mexico State, actually, I'm wrong about the seedings for UConn. UConn was fifth. Uh, New Mexico State was 12th. But that's still, you know, a gap. Like, UConn was definitely favored to win that. But that's the great thing about this March Madness tournament is that anybody can win. And uh, it wasn't. So shocking. Some picks I got right. Uh, I actually picked 11th seeded Michigan to beat 6th seeded Colorado State. Uh, now, I also lost. I thought Marquette at ranked 9th would beat North Carolina 8. Uh, North Carolina ended up destroying Marquette. Like, it was just crazy nuts. Uh, it was actually another game between 9 and 8 seeds where Creighton played San Diego State. And I picked Creighton got it right, but I remember watching the scoreboard. Uh, for most of that game, and San Diego State was beating them for a while, but Creighton went up winning by uh, three points in overtime, so that shows you how close that game was. And that's usually, those kind of games are pretty close. Now, here's another game, <laughs> which I really got burned on here, because I had 10th seeded San Francisco, who I know really nothing about. Now, before I p- made my picks in my bracket, I checked out the information for the teams, the strength of schedules, uh, their their average points for and against, 
and they played number seven seed Murray State. Now Murray State won uh, 97-87 in overtime. Uh, that's how close it was for me and that because I had San Fran winning the next game too. So now that's kind of fucked up that bracket for me. But I think that's the same bracket that UConn was in. So basically, those two, uh, Murray State and New Mexico State, are going to play each other. I think so. I messed up all that, so that's okay in terms of that particular part of the bracket because as long as I'm still, like the guy I'm playing against, uh, which is only one person because no one else signed up for it, but the other guy actually picked Kentucky to win it all, so he's a Kentucky fan, so I kind of see why he did that. Uh, my team that I picked to win it all was Villanova. Uh, whether or not that happens, of course, you know, no one knows. Uh there's a lot of buzz about North Carolina kind of picking up steam. I'm kind of just going by how they played throughout the year. They were kind of up and down. Uh, they were an eighth seed coming into this tournament, so but a lot of people are favoring them to win it all also. Uh, now with UConn and Kentucky out of the picture, that kind of makes that a little bit easier. But you still have Gonzaga and Duke, uh, Arizona. You know, There's a lot of high seeds that are still in this game right now. Uh, but... The way this tournament works is it starts Thursday and Sunday. So basically the teams that played last night are going to play again on Saturday. Teams that are playing today are going to play again on Sunday. And then next week it'll, I think it will be the Sweet 16 by then. And we'll knock it down to the Final Four, I believe, after that week. And then, of course, the final, two, final game between the National Championship being held uh, the third week. So... It's a lot of fun, uh, and it, it just depends if you like sports, and I know not many people who listen to metal care about it that much, but uh, if you like enjoy just wild, crazy stuff at college, and, and the great thing about college sports in general is it isn't as, you know, these kids aren't being paid to play. They, pay, they play for the passion of it all, and I'm not trying to disregard the NFL or NBA in any way. Because uh, I know they care about winning to a degree too, but you know, for them, it's a little bit more like a job. In college, it's more just team spirit, uh, the emotion of it all, and, and just uh, the love of the game. Really, uh, granted, some of these guys who are in these teams are playing for their future, so they're trying to showcase themselves throughout these tournaments, so that when it comes to the draft, they're going to get drafted and get paid well, you know, like they want. Uh, but for the most of them, you know, most of them won't even make the NBA, and most of them will be, you know, just like AD college football is like only select few actually make it to the next level. So that's why college is so great. It's just more about the team and, you know, winning for your school. And, you know, for even though Virginia, when they won it a couple of years ago, uh, we had three guys go to the NBA, our, our three major stars that year. Um, it was, it was really kind of a, a shock and uh, just a great thing all around the field as a Virginia fan because of the year before when we lost to UMBC. And it was such a heartbreaking moment because, you know, Virginia had kind of gone a couple of years as number one seed, although the year before we didn't lose in the first round. We lost, like, in the second or third round. So we were still having disappointing losses after being ranked number, you know, being a number one seed in these tournaments. But... Uh, you know, a couple of years ago when we were the number one seed, we went and did it all, and it was a, heart, a lot of heart-stopping games. I mean, if you don't if you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look up Virginia Purdue and actually Virginia Purdue, Virginia uh, Auburn, and Virginia Texas Tech, which was the championship game. Those three games alone 
will have you in disbelief because Virginia won two of those games uh, leading up to the championship game virtually within the last 30 seconds. Like, it's you just wouldn't believe it if you'd, if you'd seen it, uh, especially a Purdue game where we were literally just done. Probably, and same with the Auburn game, too, because, like, without them fouling Ray Guy uh, at the end there to, on a three-point try because he sank all three, three throws to win <laughs> at the line, uh, if they don't foul him at all, uh, they win. You know, it's done. Like, it's just really kind of funny because I'm more of the, you know, when I'm thinking about that play, and you know, a lot of people thought it was a ticky-tack call, but no, it was a correct call, and anyone who says differently is just bitter about it. But uh, the thing about that play is, you know, I haven't played basketball myself, not on that level, but haven't played. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to jump up in, in guy's face. You know, I'm going to try to, like, you know, do what I can to make a miss, but I'm not going to jump into him. And that's what happened with this defender. He made the mistake of jumping into Guy as he's shooting the pass instead of kind of just jumping straight up. And when that happens, he collided with Guy, and that's what got the foul called. If he never touches Guy and he's just going up in the air trying to wave his hand and get in his face... The, the ball, the shot that guy shot actually missed. It, hit, it was close, but it, it missed. And, you know, the fact that they gave us the foul, like, that just changed everything. And even then, for a guy to get on the line and shoot three of those shots, the three throws to end, the, you know, to get that, the lead that late, it was like 63-62, I think, or something like that was the final score. And it was leaving... Auburn with like maybe two or three seconds to try to get down the court and get a shot off which they got a shot off but it came up short because the buzzer went off but the reality is like if you're just if you're not if you're new to basketball and you want to see some exciting shit I can only highly recommend that I mean there's other shots and other games throughout the history of March Madness that you'll be like wow that's some crazy shit you might even actually find a highlight reel somewhere on uh, YouTube that will show you different buzzer beaters. Like one year, uh, I think it was Villanova beat UNC at the last second uh, in a championship game. And then there's always the uh, the game with Marquette, and I forget who they were playing, but that was like a buzzer beater. So there's just some crazy shit out there in terms of games and sportsmanship that uh, is crazy and fun about March Madness. So I thought I'd just shout out to that because the next time I get around to talking about it, uh, we've already going to have a bunch of games, so we'll just, I'll give you an update when that happens. Uh, and then, of course, I'll probably the third podcast, I, or, you know, third one from now that I do, will give you the lowdown who won it all, but there's that. So, as I said, I'll try to get that sack of fix track in here for you guys. Um, I'm sorry about that, didn't play, but uh, right now we're going to get in some blackmail. Hopefully it's all going to play, because I don't know why that track didn't play for me, but anyway... Uh, here's some black mouth. I've got some Grand Sounds promotion, inverse records, and brand new stuff from Era Cobra. So check it out. Here's Down Cross. Check it out.
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, brand new stuff from Old Throne, A Dying Land. I threw an extra black metal song in there for you all. Uh, that Sacrifix track for Jay-Z Press was a bad file. I even tried to reload it up, uh, so I couldn't use it. Sorry, guy. Uh, might try again with another band at some point. This is the only problem. This is, if any of my label and promotional friends that are out there that send me these these music and these tracks do me a big favor will you guys make sure one uh that you're sending me mp3 files so even if you send me both wave and mp3 that's fine uh cause at least i have the option of getting the mp3 but if you're sending me wave files or flack they don't work with my uh software system so technically i could go and convert them but that's just a lot of extra work that i have to do i don't want to have to do that so do me a favor and do me a solid. Make sure you're sending me at least the MP3 file. And this is another big and a big thing for me. Please tag the file or check it when you have it. Send it to me. Make sure it's tagged right. Uh, even if it has a folder with the band, that's it will make it easy for me when I edit it. Uh, I've had people send me music they want me to play, but I have no idea who the fucking band is because by the time I get to it. Uh, you know, unpack it and everything else. Um, I forget who it might be. So it's always nice to have the band at least listed in the tag somewhere so I can go, okay, this is what this band is. Okay, great. Uh, and in this case, with Sacrifix, like, you just got to make sure that these tracks will play. Make sure they're tagged correctly because a lot of times uh, if there's, like, certain little... Like, you know, if it's a zero instead of a O, it could create a problem with the software. Just make it easier for us, will you please? I want to play this stuff for you guys, but I need you to, to help me out with it. Help me help you. <laughs> I'm running out of time to sit there all day and try to, like, cipher through this stuff and get it corrected. And I just don't... I used to go and actually convert some of that stuff so I can play it, but I just don't have that kind of time anymore. I'm just way too busy. Uh, and it's and it's it's a bad thing for the bands because I really want to play their stuff, but uh, you just got to get it out to me better than that. You know what I mean? Um, so next topic I want to get to, and this is I really wish Neca was here for this because she could probably expand and explain this stuff far better than I ever could. Uh, but I found it interesting because uh, I think initially this was on GetPocket.com, but I tried to search it up on the web to refine that article and I couldn't find it on that site. I did find something off of uh, Reddit or something that has the same type of article judging by what I've read. It's called The Age of Influence and the, one of the things that this article does is it points back to the 90s with the kickoff of Nirvana and alternative and grunge and the slacker generation as they called it in terms of people just sitting chilling smoking weed just being slackers in general like it wasn't this pressing need to 
be an influencer like since 2000s we you know the age of the internet and all that good stuff people uh with social media has grown and grown to the point like it's kind of a pro and con even for me because here i am now in 2022 trying to make my own brand in terms of my my show neko with the show with neko uh our youtube stuff you know doing shows with samurai Tony the Dead, uh, you know, Aaron Penn and all these other YouTube personalities, we're now trying to finally try to find a way to generate some income. Like, I'm not going to ever charge people to listen to the podcast or, or, you know, give it or even allow people to download it. Like, I'm not doing all that. But as far as, like, Try and generate some money because I've we've forked out money for this, and I'm you know I'm 51 years old, man. I can't be. At some point, I'm gonna have to retire, so I don't know how much longer on this earth I have. So, at this point, I really would like to just because I put so much work and time into this for this for you guys that I now have to actually start thinking about how I can generate some income. Now I have other things going on with like my tarantulas, the isopods, stuff, that, that's going to be separate. Like, I'm, I'm going to be trying to sell isopod and springtail cultures together. Uh, it's going to be a little bit different than what you would normally get for each one separately. So uh, that's something I'm going to try to do because I've already started building my cultures, and I have them mixed. So it's like I could probably do certainly – separate them you know and do them that way like everyone else but i think i want to do them as a, a package because really springtails and isopods work pretty well together for any kind of uh enclosure that you have um but that's a side thing that's something that i'm going to try to figure out on the website where i can put it as just like a little thing on the side and say hey look if you're a if you have like lizards frogs tarantulas and you have bioactive environments and you want some cleanup crews, that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, but as far as, like, you know, other kind of income, you know, Neko and I have talked about doing merch for Meltdown Radio, which we had never done yet. I'm sure people would like some stickers or some cups or shirts and stuff like that. But, you know, again, it takes money to make money. So we have to figure out for her and I, like, what's the best plan of action? What's the best company to try to go through? Uh, obviously, I've been paying attention to Samurai and some of the other guys of the companies they use to create their merch. Uh, I really love the glass, drinking glass that uh, Derek from Flick Snacks uh, sent me. Uh, that was really fucking cool. Like, it's a really cool glass. Uh, and then, of course, the mugs that Tony the Dead or Aaron Penn of Cult of Cinema have are very cool, too. Those are awesome things with great ideas. Uh, but, you know, I don't want it just to be, like, a half-assed type of T-shirt. Like, I want shirts that people aren't going to worry about the emblem, like, falling off once they wash it or something like that. Like, it's got to be done very well. It doesn't have to be super expensive on our end, and we're not going to charge an arm and leg for it. But, you know, we need to try to find a way to monetize ourselves. And then, of course, the YouTube thing, which... Really, it's 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 gonna be more up to you guys in terms of how you help us with that because 
I know it's a problem right now because we don't have super a lot of content and it's not like our main focus. Uh, but if I get to a, a thousand subscribers on that YouTube channel, that's when I can actually start monetizing it. Um, and, and we're at like 217, I think, right now. So really, any help that we can get from the rest of you all is great. Just go and hit the subscribe button. And it's basically like a like. So... Uh, and, and again, like, you know, Neko and I talk to you all when we do these podcasts, like, you know, when you, when we ask you, like, what do you want to hear or give us feedback, don't, don't be shy. Tell us what it is you like or don't like. Uh, give us some ideas of what you might like want to see, even when it comes to merch. If you have something in mind you would like to see done, like, in a perfect world, man, I would love to be able to create compilation compilation discs for people uh but i know that's a lot of like hoops and stuff that i had to jump through because i had to get permission from the bands i had to get permission from the labels uh so it's it's not an easy thing to do and chances are i'm gonna probably have more luck with bands that are not on labels or bands that aren't that popular in terms of creating those now granted that's sort of like my goal anyway because why would i want to give you a bunch of bands that you're already familiar with uh but again i that, you know that's just down the road stuff that i've been shooting in the wind because i really don't know i have to go into having that kind of stuff pressed to cd then of course the jewel cases and then you know how many people are actually interested in buying physical media anymore that's the other trick to it all uh Chances are I'd have to start out with like maybe 50 discs, 50 CDs, uh, or even maybe 25 because we're, we're not that big yet in terms of like the audience. So probably would start with like 25 CDs if I did that. And of course I'd have to go through all the, like I said, the, the hoops and stuff to make sure that I've got my ass covered in terms of copyright issues. Uh, so again, it's like a matter of just talking to people, getting the information, researching a bit. But I think that'd be, especially with the rock stuff, like, you know, people seem to respond very well to the Rock and Hard Place uh, podcast. Like, they seem to really like the fact that there's probably stuff in there they haven't heard. And like modern rock and stuff, it, you know, has a nostalgic uh, feel to it. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But back to this article... It's talking a little bit more about in terms of the way of life for people. So now with people who are influencers on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook or whatever, you know, people, let me, let me, let me read it here a little bit. They say, uh, where once the social network was basically lunch and sunsets, it's now a parade of strategically crafted life updates, career achievements, and public vows to spend less time online usually made by people who earn money from social media, all framed with the carefully selected language of a press release. So basically what they're saying is people who are promoting this slacker lifestyle, some people, uh, are actually making money off that. So it's it's like the whole quote-unquote sellout uh, term, you know, like you can speak a big game about being a slacker and not you know, not working for the man or whatever, but you're you're still doing the capitalist thing. You're still doing the corporate thing by, oh yeah, you know, it, what what's what's the best example I can give? It's like, uh, 
you know, uh, someone dies, you know, gets shot uh, by a cop or something, and all of a sudden someone's out there promoting the cop or, you know, they'll, they'll take advantage of a, a tragedy and then make a buck off of it. So, <clears throat> you know, it's or like when if you watch uh, Forrest Gump, you know, he's running, doing his running across the the nation and then he gets hit with a bunch of mud and a guy gives him a shirt and he wipes his face and it's a big smiley face and he goes shit happens dude capitalized on that so it's it's like people are taking certain things and they're just using like whatever like if they're like if a woman takes pictures of her out in jamaica or some other lovely island all of a sudden she becomes an instagram model or a success because she's making money by going on vacations you know what i mean and that's sort of like the slacker thing. It's not like she's doing a nine-to-five job like some people are. <sighs> Sorry. And so uh, they make reference, of course, to you know the '90s and how, like I said, Nirvana, the grunge era. But then you also had movies like Clerks, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, Reality Bites, stuff like this. Um, you know these these kind of movies and shows uh, represented the slacker lifestyle. Uh, the one point about Weona Ryder's character and Reality Bites is she chooses the disillusioned musician Ethan Hawke over the TV exec Ben Stiller. So, and everyone thought that was like the great choice, you know, like because she was going after the artist instead of like the guy with the financial uh, stability. Uh, and then, of course, in the 2000s, that shifted to where apparently became more about the corporate and being stable and making money, having a career. And basically, to kind of bring this all around, the article is basically asking, are we due to go back into the slacker mentality to the point that it's more about the art rather than selling the art and selling uh, image or whatever? And not being, you know, a brand, I guess, as you could call it. And the only defense I'll make, as far as me and Neko and, of course, uh, you two people that I know, Samurai makes some money. Uh, Tony the Dad, Cult of Cinema, you know, Derek, they all make a little bit of money doing this. However, a lot of it's donations. And one thing that Rob from ETN pointed out uh, the other night when we were talking about this on, on the air, uh, if you follow the YouTube stuff that he's been doing, I didn't even realize this. YouTube itself takes like a hefty chunk out of your donations or your, I forget what they call it, it's just off the top of my head, but you know, when you have people that are Patreons or whatever, like, YouTube it has somewhere in there, YouTube, or it's, it's a chat, it's a chat stuff, so if you're in a chat on a YouTube channel, and you're, you, let's say you donate, like, five bucks and through the Snapchat or whatever it is on that, uh, while you're talking to the host, if you donate a hundred bucks, YouTube's gonna take a hefty chunk of that hundred bucks, and the, the, uh, site owner only gets about 20 or 30 percent of that which is sad sad uh that's why rob says it's better to do tips uh through a different link 
or in some cases Patreon is better because it's not through YouTube itself. So a lot of guys go Patreon. So I think that even though Neck and I might want to monetize YouTube in some way, because even generating money through the chat is kind of nice too, but the realistically, uh, the best way to go is Patreon. Uh, and maybe that's something that her and I need to kind of revisit. Because even an author like Lou, who, you know, she's still not a big name in terms of, like, people talking about her. We try to get the word out about her. She's a very good author uh, from the U.K., but she has a Patreon. So, and there are different levels. But that's the thing, too, is that you have to figure out what your levels are going to be. You have to figure out, like, because I know Tony the Dead battles with this all the time because he wants to do it, but... He knows and he understands that you have to have a, quite a bit of content uh, to get people interested in certain things. And so that's really what it's going to come down to. So maybe if I do that whole um, CD compilation thing, right, that might be something that's a certain tier for Patreon. So rather than sell it outright, if I want to do a Patreon let's say level two you get that you get a copy whatever you pay a month you're going to get a copy of that compilation now of course i have to add something else into that because just i i'm not gonna be able to make like 50 compilations of like different music like I, that's a lot of work um and that's if if i can even do it but that's the kind of the, the description point that i'm getting at is that we do this shit for the love of the music the entertainment aspects of it. Uh, nobody that I know on YouTube or in my circles like Metal and Me, we don't do this for to be like rock stars or you know millionaires. It's not. We're not out there trying to be influencers to, just for the sake of influence people. We try to bring entertainment because we're fucking nerds. We love music. We're nerds. We just want to bring you stuff that you enjoy because we know we're all like this little family uh, in terms of nerdum and uh, that's why we do it but then at the same time is when you start being like us and you are putting this much work and money into it then we have to find a way to kind of at least bring in some kind of income there's no way that I can bring enough to balance out or even make a buck like I wouldn't be able to make a living off it really uh, but if I can at least generate something so that when I do step away from my day job, I can at least have some sort of income coming in that isn't going to look like I'm just doing nothing with this. And I know that Neko will support me regardless, and she supports us 100%. She's been kind of bugging me about figuring out how to do stuff from home. Because, uh, you know, she sees it too. Like, my body just can't handle it. Like, that's... As young as my mind is, like, my body just can't handle it at 51, dude. Like, I just, I wake up today, um, you know, I, I, granted, I lost a lot of weight over the couple last couple of years, so that's good. But I wake up today, dude, and my, my shin is hurting on my left foot. My knees are always hurting. I'm taking, like, two Excedrins every morning just to kill the pain. Uh, sometimes I have to alternate because, you know, taking Excedrin that much can be damaging to my liver, which... I'm kind of at the stage now, like, I don't care about my liver because I just need to be able to fucking walk. Um, 
literally when I first get up, like, you know, the rabbits need to be fed. So I get up and, like, my bones are just hurting and everything. And then, of course, I see that one of the rabbits has dug out her litter box and shit's all over the place. So I'm trying to pick it up and dump it back into the box. And then my, I can't bend down very well. Uh, and, and you have to understand, I, I drive for Amazon a couple of days a week and I can do it. But it's like a fucking process, dude. I'm almost like Sebastian Bach uh, in Supergroup. Like, I have to take two hours just to fucking get functional. <laughs> and that's not just because I want to look good. That's just because I need to be able to fucking operate with physically to do my shit. You know, so by the time I roll into work, you know, I'm ready to go. Like, the, the medication is kicked in and blood pressure meds in and everything and... That's the thing, man. Like, I got to be able to fucking operate. I, I can't just jump up and go anymore. I used to be able to do that in my 20s. Not anymore. And it's really just, you know, on top of that, and now because I am older, I get a little bit more tired easily. So, like, I haven't really been as driven to do the YouTube stuff. Like, I, know I want to, but I just haven't found anything that I really want to talk about. Like, it's funny because when I was doing the shark story, that was pretty interesting. But again, that was easy to work with. I, I enjoy sharks. I have a lot of books on sharks. Uh, I've been bitten by a shark. Uh, so I have history there with that. Um, and, you know, like entertainment-wise, like certain things like music, I can talk music all day with people because I have a history. I have a long history of loving rock and heavy metal. Uh, but I would never use this as a means of influencing people unless they are like-minded and just like the music. Like, if I can get people to enjoy it. I have friends on the Broncos forum that kind of are here and there in terms of rock and metal, but if I know one particular person who's like, yeah, you know, I don't really like the heavy, heavy stuff. I do kind of like this rock stuff from, like, Fleetwood Mac. And then I said, well, hey, if you like them, check out these guys because they sound a little bit like them. And then they end up liking it. And they're like, oh, wow, good good, good choice, good recommendation. And that's where I'm at. That's for me. That's the pleasure I get out of all this. Uh, and, and, and in full, as I, people introduce me to bands as well. So it's kind of like back and forth and, you know, if you saw me on Metal Mania uh, this this week on their channel, you know Chris, who is Crypt, as you know, we talk metal shop and we also talk about movies and stuff. And you know he does his mainly through the the visual aspect. He's been doing YouTube stuff and video for years now. And with me, I'm more audio clearly. So and of course I am trying to get into the video, but I know how much work he's put in to try to just get his content up with the music portion of it. And I know he's gotten to a point where it's a little bit better now, but he still battles it. Like, he and I talk about it all the time. It's like a bitch for him to get cleared to play something because he'll make the videos and YouTube will put it on hold and say, well, we got to make sure this is right. And he's like, dude, the band gave me fucking permission. But it still takes days for that to happen. So he has to wait before he can have it posted to even, you know, share it or whatever. I don't have that problem with the podcast because I, I would have that problem if I tried to put it on YouTube, which I did try initially. Once YouTube has the ability to check the sound and pick up picks up on a, a riff or a song, it shuts me down. It will say, well, 
we can air these songs, but you're going to have to edit this to the point that we don't have this, this, and this. And I'm like, why do I want to do that? You know, why do I want to take out a handful of songs that chances are the band doesn't even really give a shit that if I'm playing or not. Usually they, usually with metal and rock, they're more than happy to let us play it uh, because that's more uh, exposure for them. But, you know, there are times that bands, uh, I've had a couple bands on both YouTube and when I was doing the radio, well, I'm still doing the radio part, but only had a couple times where bands actually contacted me personally and said, look, I don't want you playing this. I'm like, okay, and I take it down. That's out of respect for them. Like, that's the band saying, we don't want you to play this, at least not yet. I'm like, cool, all right, I'll take it down. And I do that. Uh, but 99.9% .9 of the time, I've never had a band be pissed off or get angry with me that we're playing their stuff. In fact, they've always enjoyed the fact that we play it. So that's what I want to hear. Like, you know, just I can't worry about the, the select few that don't either get it or are just too butthurt about shit. Like, both bands I'm regarding to were bands that are well more well-known, and I think I find that's really where the problem is. Metallica would be a band that's probably one that would cry about stuff because they've done it before. Uh, but any band that's struggling or trying to find their niche or find their way up the ladder in terms of exposure with metal and rock are more than happy to have stations like ours or Metal Mania or whatever playing their shit because no one else is fucking doing it. So, there you go. Uh, but it's very interesting because are we really due for a turnaround in terms of the slacker generation? Is it time that people quit working so hard and try to do uh, more things to relax or you know find other means to make a living without becoming the influencers that we see here and there in terms of I would call them like fake because. To be a, someone who goes on vacation making money is kind of like bullshit to me. It's like really dumb. I don't care how hot she might be or he is. Uh, the reality is like you shouldn't be paid just to go fucking take pictures in fucking other countries. And, you know, that that's just that's nonsense. But, you know, people are going to pay you to do it. Whatever. You know, that is what it is. All right. Into our music. Got brand new stuff from Archaic Infested Angel provided by Against PR. And here's some brand new Wombath. Where we dwell.
right. It's about that time for the rock block. And coming up today, I got some Bulwark, Lovecraft, Ear Danger, Mano do Mano. Brand new stuff from Ghost, as well as Anything But Human. Tracks, most of them provided by Curtain Calls, Kobar PR, Against PR, Vlad, and also Metal Message. Coming from Curtain Calls, this is Anything But Human doing a cover of Eleanor Rigby. So here we go, let's get this shit started. In the church where the wedding has been Lives in a dream Waits at the window Wearing the face that she keeps In a jar by the door Who is it for?
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you
settlers Europe. The men of General Dwight Eisenhower are leaving their landing barges, fighting their way up the beaches into the fortress of Nazi Europe. They are moving in from the sea to attack the enemy under a mammoth cloud of fighter planes, under a ceiling of screaming shells from a live warship. The world's greatest military undertaking is underway.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic reading lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace talk a little bit about Blade Runner Black Lotus before but before I get into all that gotta take time out for this uh, the passing of Akira Takarada who was in the original Godzilla film he passed away at 87 uh, apparently got a pneumonia and you know chances are it probably is COVID related who knows um, a lot of times those things tie in together the way things have gone in the last couple of years but uh definitely a big part of the Godzilla franchise, of course, with that debut film. Uh, he also, I'm going to read a little clip here. This is pretty much which sums up his career and who he was and whatnot, so here I go. Uh, Japanese star of the 1954 original nuclear apocalypse film, Godzilla, Akira Takarada, has died of a pneumonia at the age of 87, according to the Godzilla franchise. Uh, Takarada, who appeared in numerous films in his lengthy career, including one for which he attended the premiere in early March, played a ship captain in the first rendition of the monster flick. He also survived real-life hardships, including being shot in the stomach by a Soviet soldier in 1945 after Japan was defeated in World War II. I still remember the sound of a doctor cutting my body while I was half-fainting, he told GG Press about the experience of having the bullet removed without anesthesia. Damn, tough shit right there. We are saddened to hear the passing of Akira Takarada, the Godzilla franchise tweeted Friday. May his memory continue to inspire the lives of many Godzilla fans. Takarada was born on the Korean Peninsula in 1934 and grew up in a Japanese colony of Manchuria in China. A staunch anti-war activist, he said, the greatest sin committed by man is war. And no, no truer words than what is going on right now with Russia and the Ukraine. Like, it's just so unfortunate, man. Like, it's really bad that that's happening. I know, Miss Kitty, you're here. We, we, we get it. It's not your turn right now. We know you like to pretend you're Godzilla, but you're not Godzilla. Yeah, I know. I get it. Yeah, I know. Uh, let's talk a little about Blade Runner. Now, this isn't the movies. This is actually uh, an animated series that was apparently created on initially on Adult Swim. So, for those of the fans of uh, the shows like Pickles, uh, Fang and Spear, also uh, 
Metalocalypse. Uh, so this Adult Swim has a lot of these good shows like this that come on. I didn't even know about this one in particular. I did remember hearing some stuff about it. Uh, this is called Blade Runner Black Lotus. It's on HBO Max right now this season. It's 13 episodes. I don't know if they're going to do more or not, but uh, so far I think I'm on episode 8. So I'm getting there, but uh, still a little ways to go. But I'm entertained. Uh, and the synopsis basically is Black Lotus takes place in Los Angeles in 2032, 10 years into the aftermath of the blackout of 2022. But before 2036, Nexus Dawn and centers on a female replicant protagonist. It also includes familiar characters from the Blade Runner universe. Now, by name, I'm not entirely sure. Like, even going through the movies, uh, I can't remember certain names. Like, I know Harrison Ford obviously played a part in both. Uh, Sean Young has a character in there, as well as Daryl Hannah, and of course... Everyone knows Rucker Howard, who passed away uh, recently in the last couple of years, who was a part of that first film. Uh, and, of course, everyone knows I love 2049, which came out two or three years ago, and I uh, really actually like that more in the first film. Uh, but I'm enjoying this, and it seems to take place between both those movies. I'm trying to remember at what time period the first Blade Runner took place, but judging by the fact of how this series is playing out in terms of, like, our main character not really knowing initially who Blade Runners were. I'm assuming that the first Blade Runner movie was prior to this. Anywho, our main protagonist, the replicant, is Ellie, and what we're finding out so far, because I can't give you the whole breakdown because I haven't seen the entire thing yet, but so far we've got this replicant who wakes up with amnesia and she then searches out. She has, like, you know, flashes of memory. She's got this device that looks like it's a recording device, but she's locked out of it. It needs a passcode. So she's carrying it around, and she's trying to find uh, any way to basically figure out what happened to her. And she's initially on one of those automated uh trucks so like kind of like what we saw in logan where they're kind of self-running and they carry supplies from one city to the next so she manages to get on one of these from some desert land that no one really visits and when she wakes up with the amnesia she's already headed into us in los angeles she's heading into the city and from there we're just introduced to how she's going about finding out who she is and of course she discovers she's got skills as a fighter and uh, eventually she gets in a fight with like a local gang and she fucks them up pretty good. She comes across uh, a guy named, what is this dude's name? Where is he in here? So pardon me for one sec, folks. I don't even see his name in here. Um, there's a character, though. He, he's like a... He runs like a pawn shop type thing. So he's... They call him Doc Badger, I think, is his name. Uh, so he, he runs like a pawn shop. She shows up there, asks him if he can decode the camera that she has. And this is where, of course, she picks up her little samurai sword that uh, she ends up using to basically go and fuck people up with because uh, she borrows it. Uh, 
he doesn't know how to break into it, but he, he knows a guy named Joseph, who we learn later on used to be a Blade Runner. Uh, he knows how to break into it. He's, he's got hacking skills. He's a hacker. And so she finds a way for him to get in, and she starts... It's a videotape of where some high-upper people, like senators and, you know, very rich people, are, they're being filmed by a journalist at the time. What they're doing is they're hunting replicants. So they took them out to the desert, and there was a good bunch of them. It was almost like Cube, where they woke up there, and they didn't know how they got there. Uh, only to find out a few minutes later that they're being hunted, like surviving the game type shit, you know. So these senators and these huntsmen and, you know, rich people, they're basically going to hunt them down and shoot them down. Now, the thing that I got about this is what kind of pissed me off, not at the show, just at the the, the plot that what's going on is that... <laughs> They're hunting down these replicants, but the replicants are designed where they're not supposed to be able to fight back. So even if they want to punch one of these people or fight back, they can't. It's, it's uh, think of Alex from Clockwork Orange where he's being programmed to not do violence. Well, that's what they're doing. They can't fight back even if they want to uh, without having you know something stop them. Uh, or like Demolition Man, we saw something similar about the cocktail plan, you know. But, um, anyway, at one point, L is with another replicant chick, and the journalist guy who decides that he wants to be the one to show off and kill these two while the others go chase down the other replicants, uh, he decides that he's going to try to kill these two ch replicants, L and the other girl, and basically, he does kill the one, but Elle is still there. And then he's he's taunting Elle. He's, like, trying to get her to fight back, knowing that she can't. However, something happens in the, in the sense that he, like, it's either a hit in the head or it might be something with programming. I haven't, we haven't quite figured out how she's been able to do it. But something snaps, and she's able to fight back, and this dude's face is in total fear once she's, like, impaling him with a knife that he gave her to, to try to stab him with. Uh, so she does it. And, I don't know, somehow from that point, I forget how she ended up losing memory again, but this is shortly after that where she takes the camera, and she ends up on this truck, and that's, of course, where we pick up where she's in the city. Uh... Alana Davis was a local cop detective who, once we find out that Elle is starting to kill off people, including the senator, early on at a illegal fighting match, um, the detective is very quick to pick up on the on her. Like she just they were they know they were looking for a young twenty-something woman, uh, and then when she passes by outside the club. Uh, she tries to like chase her down without any success. The one thing about Elle is that right now there's like this secrecy. I have a, I have a theory on who this person is. It was apparently her boyfriend at the time, due to her memories. Some of the memories that Elle has are, of course, implanted because she's a replicant, but others are stuff that she's had more recently. So there's one where she's by a nice swimming pool in a bikini and. Uh, there's a guy with a hood, hoodie on, giving her a black lotus tattoo on her shoulder, right, like right shoulder. And uh, 
that was what she considered her love of life at the time. But we don't know who he is. We can't see his face. Again, I have my theory on who it is because you do see different characters throughout this show, even up until episode 8 where I'm at now. So you can kind of like, hmm, I think I know who it is. You know, one of those things. Um, my one gripe about this is the intro and outro music. I know people are going to probably give me a lot of shit for it. Uh, I don't hate hip-hop or rap. I just, sometimes when it's used in films that I've seen, it doesn't fucking work for me. Now, Rooney uh, Kennison, I just did a review of that one not too long ago, and that same thing happened. The, the music within the series is great for both of those. In the movie and in this series, the movie within it is awesome. But the intro and outro music for both of them are hip-hop rap stuff that sucks. It doesn't, it doesn't mesh. It doesn't work for me. With the, it, it just totally loses the feeling. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so I, I'm glad that I can skip the intros and outros at the end of this series because like, it's like, god damn, it's so annoying. Uh, I know I'm not the biggest hip-hop fan as it is, but when they're choosing this shit, like, I'm like, what are you thinking? Because the actual music within is a lot like the regular Blade Runner stuff that we got, the great soundtracks with that stuff, which works. Why it is we're trying to juice this up with fucking hip-hop crap? No idea. I'm not saying it has to be heavy metal or rock either. I'm just saying it just doesn't work. It it, it, it it totally throws off the entire feel of the series. And it makes no sense to me. Um, yeah, but, uh, graphics are amazing in this. Uh, which, you know, it's not like... I don't really know how you can really compare animation, but... It's not so much cartoonish. It's got like the... If you ever saw Final Fantasy to Spirit Within, uh, it has a similar look to that. Uh, the detail is very nice. Uh, now, from what I've read, because initially, like I said, this was on Adult Swim, so I don't know... I don't know if Adult Swim had two different versions of this series. Like, they do apparently, because there's one version where all the voice actors are Japanese or Asian. It looks like they're all Japanese. So the original voice of Ellie was Risa Shida. And, but I don't know if that means there's just two different versions of the show. Uh, but the one that I'm watching on HBO Max, which is in English, uh, the, the voice actors and actresses are different. So for Ella in the English version, it's Jessica Henwick, and she's been involved with like Force Awakens, uh, Luke Cage, uh, stuff like that. Defender, she's all part of that. She's been involved with that kind of stuff. Uh, Joseph, played by William Lee. Alana Davis, uh, portrayed by Samara Wiley. Uh, and we do have, uh, there's a guy, a character named Neander Wallace Sr., who's one of the rich guys I was talking about. Uh, I recognize right away who the voice was, Brian Cox, who I really like uh, from the Bourne movies and stuff. So, uh, He's in there with that, and you'll see some different... Like, I even looked at the actors, and judging by the the actual characters in the show, it's kind of cool that they used a little bit of their facial features as a, a resemblance to the actors portraying them, so I thought that was really kind of cool. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it's a really good show. 
Uh, if you're a fan of the Blade Runner movies, I think you'll enjoy this. It's on HBO Max. 13 episodes. Again, I don't know if they're going to move ahead with it even more. They may. I don't know. I haven't even got that far, so I don't know if there's like any cliffhangers or not. But uh, Black Lotus, HBO Max. Let's get back into the music. Uh, had a band called Empire Dem Demu. It's like D-E-M-U. Uh, contact me via email. Sent me uh, some of their music. So I've got Under the Black Sun there from them. Brand new stuff from Death Hammer. And here's some brand new stuff from Stray Gods uh, called Black Horses. I think this is the band that kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Iron Maiden. So you let me know how you thought about it. This is called Black Horses by Stray Gods. Sorry, wrong one. Uh, I'll put that in after this song. This is Empire D. Moo. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're good now. This is Stray Gods.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Oh boy, man, what a day today already, right? Fucking shit just not going as planned. Did manage to get the Stray God track in there. Sorry about the mix-up. Should have been first one played. I don't think I had it in the lineup. I didn't preview everything like I should have. But I'm a professional, right? <laughs> Not. Um, anyhow, it got in there. Did sound like Iron Man, I thought. So you can give me some feedback on that. Uh, then we have some Death Hammer there. Closing it out with Crushing the Pearly Gates. And uh, my next review is for a movie called The Seed, also on Shudder. And ironically, some of the plot is kind of dealing with that whole, like, uh, social media influencing I was talking about earlier, only it's on a movie level. And uh, basically, what this movie's about is you've got three girls, 20-something girls, who are taking a vacation... To this uh, house out in the middle of some the Mojave Desert. I don't know if it's supposed to be the Mojave. Yeah. They head out to the Mojave Desert for a weekend at a luxe party pad. So basically it's... I don't know. If you ever saw Revenge on Shudder, like that movie, there's like a house. It's almost a similar setup, only the plot's different. But anyway, you got this big house with a pool, and it's out in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and there's no one around. And, you know, the girls are just kind of getting away now. Two of the girls, uh, a couple blondes, are really big into their phones and their social media. In fact, the, one of them is like a model, and she's there already on her phone when they first get there. Say, hey, we're at the pad. We're going to be having fun watching the meteor shower tonight. Uh, the third girl, Brunette, she's like one of those old school quiet girls, and doesn't do social media her phone is like a flip phone it's like an older phone she doesn't hasn't updated it yet or not uh but let me let me just start by saying okay all these chicks even the the quiet one they're all kind of stupid vapid and shallow like they're very unlikable characters and you might say to yourself well why is the quiet one someone you wouldn't like well i'm gonna get into some of that in a minute but uh, so yeah, they're, they're there sort of just to get away, but they're also there to see this big spectacle, which is called a media shower, uh, once in a generation, as they call it. And, uh, so they're out there drinking and they're watching this shit go down and all of a sudden, like, uh, out of nowhere, like this big thing f crashes into their, their pool and it's, you know, looks like an egg almost. <laughs> And so they, you know, the one girl whose dad owns it. Not she's not. I guess I'm gonna put them in tears. You got your top blonde. Uh, what the fuck was her name? Do I remember at this point? Deidre. Yeah. So Deidre, Heather, and Charlotte. So Charlotte is your quiet final girl, and then you got Deidre. And yeah, so Deidre is the the main girl. Our main antagonist in the sense of the terms of the trio uh heather whose dad owns the place is a little bit more vapid and stupid as shit 
Um, but she kind of just follows along with what Deidre does all the time in terms of, like, the social networking and whatnot. So she freaks out when... Heather freaks out when this thing falls in the pool. And she's like, Gotta get it out of here. My dad's gonna kill me. So they don't even, like... You know, they take, like, the little net pool net and they drag it out and put on a towel. It's kind of got, like, this blue gooey shit going on. And they can kind of see within this thing it has, like, a little bit of a face to it. So uh, they don't know what quite to make it. They're, like... Already they're starting to say, what is it, like an armadillo? What, you know? <laughs> uh, and I'm like, yeah, it just came out of the sky. It just happens all the time. And, of course, you know, these chicks are just so dumb. Like, they, I, I, I can't even get into it all. But what ends up happening is that they keep continuing to drink. They get drunk, and they pass out finally. And, you know, the next morning, they wake up to check in on it. And they find out first that none of their phones are working. Like, the signal's been lost. Like, just, just static. They can't they can't make calls out. They can't do this or that. And then finally, like, well, let's check in on our uh, thing outside. And what turns out is, like, the towel, it's no longer on the towel. Like, it, all you see is, like, this trail, like, blue goo thing, tra blue and black goo just trailing off somewhere. <laughs> So they start following the tracks, and eventually they come to it, something face down on the grass, like around from the house. And, uh, you know, it's sunny out, it's kind of hot, so they, they're assuming this shit's dead, right? All of a sudden, this, like, lawn boy shows up, who's actually filling in for his brother, who usually takes care of the house. So, And this dude's no real winner either, he's a fucking idiot. Um, but he's only an idiot to the point that, like, he knows to get how to get what he wants. So <laughs> the girls offer to pay him money to, you know, pick up the dead thing and just get rid of it somewhere. Like, they're just like, they don't want to be dealing with this shit. And he's kind of like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, well, if you want me to do it, you have to pay me, but then you have to do this too. So what ends up happening is uh, he's got to be able to kiss one of the girls. And so, of course... Shy girl, uh, quiet girl, gets the one to be to do the, the kissing. And let's be frank here. Up to this point, she's the only one that's kind of curious about the the meteorite that crashed. Uh, the other two blondes could give a rat's ass. They would rather just get rid of it and be done with it. Um, so she's the one that gets lucky enough to kiss this dude. And... Uh, you would think initially it's just going to be a quick peck and be done with it, but for some reason the kiss lasts a little longer, and he walks away, and she's kind of left there like in limbo, like almost as if it was a, a the greatest kiss she ever received, and the girls are like looking at her like, what the fuck's wrong with you? You know, it, it is a weird scene. Uh, finally, our, our Wonder Boy makes his way to the back uh, where the creature is, and he he brought like a tarp or something that he can put it on and drag it. And apparently, for whatever fucking reason, this thing is extremely heavy. Like, it took... Well, I'm not going to jump ahead here. So he tries to get it on this tarp. And it's really fucking heavy, so he's got his shovel and he's trying to put it on there. And when he turns it over, it actually makes noise. Like a high screeching. And he's so terrified by it that he just runs. He leaves the entire house and bolts out of there and the girls are like what the fuck you know they were 
they gave them money and everything. So they go around, they find it, it's still like moving and squeaking and what else, you know, it looks like. The best thing I can say is uh, for those of you who had seen David Lynch's Eraserhead movie, you, you remember that little baby they had, the little creature? Uh, it looks like that, only it's fatter, chunkier, it's bigger. But it looks, that was the first thing it reminded me of. And I know uh, on a review I read that they were saying kind of the same thing. So that was the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, oh my God, it looks like that thing from Eraserhead, only bigger. Uh, so the girls, you know, the thing's on the tarp, but like it's making noise. And of course, uh, Charlotte, who is the quiet one, wants to, doesn't want to kill it. She's like, you know, sympathizing with the animals or whatever. None of them are really paying no mind as this thing dropped from the sky. Like, no one has really wrapped their heads around this. They keep trying to treat it as it's something they would see every day. <laughs> anyway, it takes all three of them to drag this tarp around uh, to try to get rid of it. And, like, that's how heavy it is. And it's, it, But it's not very big, dude. It's like the size of a baby. It's not that big. But it's heavy as hell, right? Uh, so... I don't know, after a while, one night, uh, while they have it outside, it, it's crying like a baby. So Charlotte goes and somehow takes a towel, wraps it up, picks it up. It's not as heavy anymore. Picks it up, brings it into the house. The other girls are sleeping, so she's down in the living room. And uh, she decides to give it, like, this <laughs> protein milkshake or something that was supposed to be for Deidre. Like, that was her, her thing. And uh, she feeds it to this baby creature, which drinks it up. Uh, then, Deidre comes out next morning and doesn't see her shake. And she sees that it's next to this creature now in the living room, which they're all kind of freaking out. Uh, Heather freaks out. She's like, you got to get the fuck out of here. She's panicking. Uh, so... Like I said, their communications are down here, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. So Heather knows that there's another woman uh, up the road a little bit uh, that might be able to help them out. So they got to jump in their little four-wheeler and run over there. So Heather and Charlotte go to do that. Deidre's like, I'm going back to sleep. When I get back, this thing needs to be out of the house. Uh, so Charlotte and Heather get over to where this neighbor is, and they discover that she's dead. Like, she shot herself. But there's kind of more to it because uh, Charlotte sees that this woman has been drawing drawing and writing stuff that the picture looks a lot like the creature they have. So, you know, now we're kind of like, well, what the fuck? What does this mean? Um, while that's happening, uh, Deidre is woken up by the creature because it's whining again. And at this point, she thinks she's being sly, right? So she's gone... <laughs> Into the kitchen, got in a glass, put some water in it, put some fucking rat poison in it. She's going to fucking kill this thing. That's what her goal is. So as she's walking into the living room and this creature sees her, this is where we kind of get our first glimpse of what this thing can do as an alien species. Uh, it's got like silverish eyes. Uh, almost, uh, almost as if it was colorblind or blind, but... You could just see at some point it starts kind of widening its eyes and like Deidre just stops in her tracks, drops the glass, and 
then we switch back to where Heather and D, uh, Charlotte are. They make their way back. Uh, they're ready to take the creature out and get rid of it. Uh, but at this point, Deidre's out in the pool on her little, you know, pool mattress. And the girls are like, okay, well, we're going to get rid of the creature. She's like, nah, don't worry. It's okay. She's acting all differently weird, kind of spaced out. Of course, they've been smoking weed and stuff, too, while they're there. So the other two girls kind of write it off as she's just stoned out of her mind. Uh, I'm not going to get super descriptive because I don't want to keep this super long, but uh, there are parts of this film, as it goes on, where we start to get a little bit of the uh, the body horror alien sex stuff, stuff that we might have seen in like stuff like Possession from 1981 or um, Society, you know, if you've seen stuff like that, uh, where it's just crazy alien sex shit going on because we have a couple of moments where Deidre and Heather are ones that are basically getting fucked in some sort of weird way with this thing. But rather than just straight up tentacles, we've got like this sheet of flesh that it somehow brings out uh, and covers them with, and it's kind of weird. I'm, I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> just to put it that way, it's weird. Uh, but keep in mind here, okay, and this is part of the problems with this film is you're spending an entire hour. This is an, only, this film is only like an hour and thirty minutes. The first hour you're spending just setting everything up. You don't really get to any of this stuff till like after an hour's worth. So all this other stupid shit that they're doing, this, you know, random-ass crap, uh, just takes forever to get there. And our final girl, uh, Charlotte, is just not very smart. Uh, with a lot of different things. It's how she's handled things to the end. I know we kind of expect this. I've, I've said it before. You go into films and you're like, well, you're expecting certain things because of the way the movie is. If it's like a B-grade movie, you expect to have some dumb shit, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, you know, there's just, we watch films over a course of our lifetime with horror movies and whatever. And with Final Girls especially, we, we've learned that there's some Final Girls that are smarter than your average bimbo. And, but this is our final girl, and she's acting like a fucking dumbass. Like, that's the thing that I don't get. Like, all of a sudden, this girl, who's supposed to be more of like a bookworm than the two ditzes that she's been hanging with all her life, uh, somehow is dumber than shit. Now, granted, when it got to the ending, I thought, oh, this is going to be so predictable. Like, so predictable, right? And, because uh, I saw it playing out, and I'm like, okay, oh yeah, that's going to happen. Well... It did throw a little twist in there a little bit, so I'm like, okay. But it's still somewhat predictable, just not as predictable as I thought it was going to be. Uh, if I had to rate this film, probably a 4 out of 10. Uh, when I watched the trailer, I, I sat there and thought, okay, well, this looks interesting. You know, this has some promise because, again, uh, there's, there's a moment that I liked in this. Uh, we probably we've seen it before stuff. Uh, our two main ditzy blondes. There's a moment where, uh, obviously, we know because of the alien sex they were impregnated in some way. Um, but there's also this like 
black goo that starts trailing from their eyes and their mouths and stuff and it's like pretty crazy looking so i mean it's stuff that we've seen in other horror films with that type of setup but uh that was one of the things that kind of got me to check it out i think that with better writing and better directing it probably could have been a little bit better because i mean just in the acting i mean it's not really the actress's fault. I know they're playing certain characters, but, like, I'm just sitting there saying to myself, these are the dumbest fucking chicks on the planet, dude. And even our final girl, even if you're accepting the first two being that way because they're so vapid and, you know, materialistic and, you know, about looks and stuff, a third girl should not be like that. She should not be that dense or uh, spaced out and everything else. Like, it just didn't make sense that she was quite... Cause the movie will have you believe that there are times that she's very uh, intuitive and very smart and then there's other times they just show her being dumb as shit and uh yeah so that's how i came out of it so it's called the seed on shutter and you can check it out it's on there right now and back into our music uh we got some brand new stuff from Frash shock in here Classic material from Anacrusis, as well as this classic material come from Holy Terror, Debt of Pain.
Alright! That is Bring to Bear, Rising Tide. DJ Nubis with you on Metal Time Radio. Getting ready to close out this edition of The Hordes of Chaos, episode 160. And I want to thank everyone again for the support. Tune in. Hope you're enjoying the content. Because we're influencers. Just kidding. Uh, one track left for y'all. Brand new stuff from Rotten Tomb. Very good record. I think it's actually going to make one of my favorites of the year. Mainly just uh, a lot of old school throwback. Old school death metal here. It's called Pest Winds. And I will talk to y'all later. Peace out. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. <laughs>